It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. Several years ago, I had the wonderful pleasure, Dana, of inviting you over to my loft in Koreatown here in Los Angeles. And I remember that experience being so magical of getting to watch you in real time over the course of like four or five hours you were in my home, just going through and creating this wonderful energy and this amazing experience of reinvigorating the energetics of my space. And that was the first taste of your magical, masterful work with feng shui. And I've been reflecting on that, not only because here we are in this podcast and getting to have this beautiful, intimate conversation with you, but spending so much time indoors during this quarantine period, I've been looking around my space and being like, well, we're social distancing, but I could really use Dana's support with the new house, but we're really not seeing each other in person. So what do I do? First of all, I just wanted to remember that beautiful memory of having you in my previous space and how much you just brightened up the energy there, but also got me thinking. With everyone spending so much freaking time indoors these past few months, like what have you seen in terms of like people reimagining their spaces? Obviously, you know, you probably haven't been going into people's homes to do like in person consultations, but what's the experience been for you as this feng shui master receiving requests and emails and DMs from people of like, help me, my space feels stagnant? Like, what's that been like for you during this quarantine period? Oh, Jason, it was. So much fun just thinking back to when we met and thinking about your house and thinking about how things have all transformed since then. And since this has all happened, I have to say it's been such an eye opener. There have been so many people reaching out with a whole different awareness of, Oh my gosh, I didn't realize my house was like this. I don't know if you know this, but my first experience with feng shui was when I was sort of forced into my house for months when I got really sick. That's how I found feng shui because I was like, what am I doing with my place? Like, how do I live in a place like this? It was 16 years ago. I just got out of the hospital. It was all crazy. And I saw my house was just like, what is this? I don't even have anything on the walls. Like I barely unpacked. So I just started learning for myself while I was stuck at home and anything I could find, there was little to find then, but I tried everything I could. And from there, I started to really make a connection and it was out of this sort of forced indoors. And so here we are. And I think a lot of people read the work and some people try one thing or try another, but I'm really, it's so heartwarming and brilliant and amazing to see that so many people are doing it and trying it and having the experience of making the change. And it's really exciting. And I mean, this isn't exciting what's happening right now, but it's exciting to see people really engaging with their environment. Because I think when we come out of this, it's going to be uh, really, really supportive to have that sense that you do have a home, that you're grateful to have a home, that you're connected to your home. It's pretty beautiful. What comes up for me, Dana, when you talk about people having this new reimagining a relationship with their home space, especially during periods of stay at home. Like here in LA, and you and I were kind of talking about this before the podcast, that 
there's this go, 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 go mentality, especially in big cities like LA, New York City, San Francisco, Chicago. I mean, we could name a lot of megalopolises and massive metropolitan areas, but I think it's interesting because for a lot of people and myself included at a lot of different points have not really thought about creating a sacred, balanced, energetically pleasing home space because I'd be in my car all day long or hustling or, you know, on set or shooting or whatever the case may be. I think it's probably pretty uncomfortable for a lot of people to be in their homes as much as they are. And I'm just speaking from my own personal experience. But what you said sparked that in me of maybe for the first time, a lot of people are in their home space way more than they're used to and being like, ooh, maybe I do want to change the paint colors in my bedroom, or maybe I do want to actually Marie Kondo my closet, or maybe I do just feel like there is weird, icky, stagnant energy here. And so I think for some people, maybe it's the first time they're actually ever having that intimate of an experience with the space they live in, which is exciting and also probably super uncomfortable for people. It's really interesting because the word intimacy when it comes to a home is something we recognize when like, so you're having people over or you're having a date come over or you're having your family visit or something. And suddenly we all recognize we don't want anyone to see our house the way that it is. And we all get very focused on how we're going to present our home to the world. So on some level, we all know that the home is an intimate space, but in feng shui and the way that I practice it, your home is really incredibly revealing. It's a mirror of you, but it's also a mirror of your energy. It shows you lots of blind spots that you might have in your life that you don't see. You see them in your home. So there is this really incredible, powerful thing happening in a house from flashing back 16 years ago when I was put into my home and I couldn't leave for a while, I looked around and I was like, this is what my life has been like and I haven't noticed it before. And we were talking before the podcast about, you know, what have I been so busy doing? Why do I have suddenly so much time to do things that it wasn't like I was out necessarily every minute of the day, but this really kind of showed me in my space it showed me in my life, oh, I've had a lot of clutter and a lot of, I've been the effect of a lot of things. And so I think for a lot of people, you start to see in your home, oh my gosh, I didn't realize my closets look like this. Like you said, I didn't realize maybe my walls are a really weird color, or maybe it's time to invest a little bit of energy and doing a deep cleaning or whatever it is. But also, it's this massive confrontation with one's self. And that's what a home is. It's really confronting yourself in so many ways. And I've seen this metaphor thousands of times now. And when you start to really actively engage in changing your space, suddenly you have this massive opportunity to change yourself on a deep level without having to necessarily get into the psychology of it. You kind of connect the dots, as Steve Jobs said, looking back, like all the things that have changed. So I really encourage people to, instead of getting bummed out or frustrated or overwhelmed, if being at home is seeing the state of their home is not what they want it to be, but rather to get inspired, because even if you have closets full of clutter, even if you have 
a mess or things to clean, or there's so much going on, you have this major opportunity to make huge changes that will resonate in you and in your whole life. This brings up an interesting point of, I think, the psychology for a lot of people. As you said, it's kind of this reflection of oneself. A home space is a reflection of oneself. What comes up for me specifically is wondering how deep into the psychology with a person you go. Because for me, if I think there's one thing that I've noticed and I'm still working on is you brought up clutter. I think about the things in Whitney as my best friend can definitely attest to like the weird food that is way expired. Like one of my big things is I hold on to like expired food. There's weird science experiments in the back of my refrigerator or the back of my cabinets that I damn well know are there. But yet there's this strange, I don't want to call it hoarding that I've noticed, but this deep subconscious belief system that I'm now aware of, of lack, right? That if I get rid of this food or I get rid of these old Maxim magazines from the 90s or whatever the hell it is, there's some part of me that associates, I don't know, the acquisition and keeping of certain material things with like, I'm safe now or I'm not going to go without. And that's probably part of my upbringing of struggling in a family financially when I was little, that somehow now as an adult, I've got this psychological tendency to hold on to things a little too long because somehow I've associated that with safety or control. And I know that's kind of a long rant, but I'm curious when you work with people, Dana, like how much do people reveal to you in terms of, I don't know, their psychology or their psychoses around certain habits or things in their home? I really approach things for those of you, and I know Whitney hasn't experienced my work firsthand, but for those people who know how I work, I don't work with judgment. And a lot of feng shui comes out of space from a place of there are the rules and you follow the rules and then you get the results and you just follow the rules. So it's not about the person, it's about the rules. But we're all so different and it seems so bizarre to, it seemed like shortchanging people to make this about, oh, well, I have to judge you because your bed doesn't face in this direction. And so we have to put your bed in an awkward place and all these things. So instead of doing any of that, I start with a person and it starts with tailoring a space to a person and, and what you specifically need. So I think that I pick up naturally. And I think we all do. I mean, both of you and everyone listening can look at a bunch of pictures of people's homes and you can look at uh, TV shows of people's homes and you can walk into your friend's houses when we could and when we will again. And you learn so much about them from what's in their space. You pick it up whether you have any training in feng shui or not. And so my approach to everything is we're all human and there's no judgment involved. There's no, oh, you broke a rule or there's bad luck coming or something terrible is going to happen, but rather, okay. So I see a bunch of themes. I see a bunch of things. And so now that we see what's happening and usually when a client is with me or when I'm working with them online and we're talking about a space, it becomes really clear that there are patterns, like the pattern you just mentioned, you realize for yourself. And because there's literally no judgment involved, I am certainly not a perfect person sitting on a pedestal saying, oh, gee, anyone who doesn't have a completely decluttered, pristinely organized life is just, you're really a loser. You're missing out. There's none of that. So from that place, people start to talk. They start to 
open up and I ask a lot of questions and I don't, I don't force people to reveal deep things, but ultimately it tends to lead to deeper things because people really want to make real changes. And, you know, for everyone who's had me come over and says, oh, I want a new relationship. I want more money. I want this. I want that. Ultimately underneath it, it's something much bigger. And so my focus is always, how can I help create a framework with you to get to this higher place, to more real self-actualization rather than just let's do a bunch of little tricks in your house so that you get you know, a little bit more money right now, or you get a little bit more of this, but rather how do we make sustainable changes? And so it just kind of naturally comes out. And it's usually, I always, I teach this method now. And usually I always tell my students, it comes out usually at the, toward the end of a consultation, someone will say, oh, you know, I didn't mention this, but I'm also an award-winning painter and I haven't painted in 20 years. And it's like, <laughs> where did wow. that come from? Wow. So it's usually an unfolding and then people become really comfortable revealing things. And again, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a trauma therapist. I refer people to people to get the help and support that they need. But ultimately, your home is showing you so much. And you don't necessarily even have to understand it all. Just making the changes and bringing your intention to the space and diving in and doing the process can be groundbreaking. And you'll notice the change and then you'll go, whoa, what was that? What comes up for me in all this, like in terms of the emotional content too, is like, you know, Whitney and I are very much about like getting super intimate and vulnerable. And it seems to me that like there can be some really interesting emotions that might arise of, First of all, just your story, Dana, you know, talking about 16 years ago and what you went through in this period of isolation and working on your health, you know, but it also seems to me that going into people's homes and seeing these aspects of them in these intimate spaces, I don't know, to me, it sounds like it could get really emotional sometimes. Or do you see that like people open up to you in a way or start crying or have there been, in, you know, I guess any moments where you're like, whoa, this just got really vulnerable and deep. I mean, it just sounds to me like that's a wonderful opportunity to, as people crack themselves open and show them more of who you are, it's like, I don't know, it just, I guess to me, it just shows like the willingness that people are willing to go through to like, I don't know, let somebody in their home and be like, this is my thing. And I don't know, I guess it goes back to more about your journey, I guess, to loop it back a long question of your origin story of what you went through in terms of your personal health and that level of just getting real with yourself. Because I think for a lot of people, myself included, I've battled certainly a lot of health issues in my life, some very recently. And I felt a lot of shame and guilt around certain things that were going on with my personal health. So I kind of want to just jump back really quick to your personal health journey and the start of this for you and how that's kind of shaped your life and who you are as a person now. Oh, well, that's a big one. Um, when this all began, well, just to say in terms of how emotional people get, I sometimes cry before my clients do. Um, I sometimes am the person who gets the most emotional, but it's all whatever happens. But when I was sort of grounded, I was grounded by life. It came out of self-help, which is the irony of me being here doing this right now. I grew up really with a lot of failure to help people. I had a lot of things around me. My family was 
Oh my gosh. My dad was a very interesting character. He was away, which is a nice way to say in jail for part of my childhood. There was a lot of turmoil. There was a lot of uncertainty all the time. And I wanted to help. And I felt like I think a lot of us are very empathic, very intuitive kids. All people are intuitive and empathic, but I wanted to help so badly. And I just kept failing to have the tools to help. So as soon as my dad reemerged in California, suddenly he was Mr. Yoga. And this is in the 80s. He was Mr. Yoga, meditation, Tony Robbins, like everything. When I was 11, I started getting 10, 11, I started getting these books. I started getting these things. And then I started visiting him and getting these cassette tapes. I mean, it was cassette tape time. So I was immersed in self-help. And even with these tools, I couldn't change. And I didn't see him really changing either. I couldn't change what was happening, even though I knew that there was truth in them. And I saw that they were working for some people. So it was this massive search for answers that I was on forever. And I felt like in some ways I was broken or I didn't have the answers and other people did. So I went bananas in search of them, which led me to the moment before my total collapse. I didn't get sick from, you know, partying too much or doing things that were wild and crazy. I literally got sick from driving myself to be a perfect person. It was intense self-help. It was intense optimization of everything. It was, everything was so intense and I was so driven. And if you said, well, you can do this a few times and it'll be okay, I'd do it a hundred times and it still wouldn't be enough for me. And it just leveled me. I drove myself with stress into the hospital. My life was completely the opposite of anything optimal. And the biggest thing was I really didn't feel like I was supposed to be happy until I got through whatever, finding whatever answers I was looking for. So when I was sick and then I was grounded at home and I was confronting all of this stuff, I realized, what about all the things I liked to do? What about all the art in my world? What about all this stuff? Maybe I'll go get a PhD. Maybe I'll do this. What happened to me? Where did I get so convinced? that I was broken. And how do I unconvince myself of that? And that's when I started really doing the work of having more fun and searching for more happiness. And that all kind of came into changing my home, bringing in the habits that I wanted, bringing in the things that I was really excited about, bringing in painting, bringing in writing again, all these things that I let go. And so that was how it all uh, came to be. And I never intended for this to be a career. And it's why I'm so emphatic about the fact that I think data, we can all get all this data, but it's kind of useless if we don't use it and no one's broken. So that was kind of my mega journey of health was to understand that I couldn't change myself or fix myself or anything myself, because I didn't need to be changed or fixed. I needed to be able to just be. Doesn't that go kind of like against the, I don't know, I feel like a prevailing narrative of so much, I don't know, so much work in the self-help or the self-improvement arena, right? Is one of the things that Whitney and I have talked a lot about on this podcast is the idea of being a perfectionist. And it sounds a lot like, you know, what you described, Dana, was like, 
trying to make everything perfect or be perfectly healed or perfectly evolved or, or control the circumstances that were out of control in your family life or personal life, which I know I can relate to on a lot of levels. And it's this interesting thing, though, because I feel like one of the prevailing messages, again, as I said, in the self-help community or whatever it is, is this idea that there is an ultimate state to get to. I feel like a lot of marketing and a lot of people kind of pitch this thing of, if you just follow my 10-step program to make a million dollars or to let go of all of your trauma or whatever it is, but the way you're presenting it is interesting because it's almost like flipping the script, right? Of instead of assuming that we're broken or we're fucked up, or there's a bunch of things that need to be fixed. I'm curious then, like psychologically, how you handled moving through this, to me, what seems like a strive for perfectionism into learning to accept yourself as you are. Because that to me is, I think one of the most difficult things to do as human beings is to learn self-acceptance and that, you know, we're not messed up. To me, that's what comes up in all this. Whitney, what are your feelings on that? I'm also curious about what led you to the work that you're doing now, because as I was listening to you, I was reflecting on how I don't hear personally, I don't hear that many people talking about the role the home plays in your healing. And as you're speaking, I'm reflecting on my home and realizing that I don't give my home as much love as I give other things because I feel like the wellness self-help world doesn't put that much emphasis on it. You know, you hear about crystals, for example, and how to decorate your home. But I think a lot of the work that you're doing is on such a deeper level. So I'm curious how that evolved in your life and what led you to that path and realizing how much you wanted to support people with shifting the energy in their homes and how that can help heal them and how that helped you as well. Well, Yes, it's definitely a paradigm shift from a quick fix for sure, Jason. And Whitney, I totally understand. There's not a lot of emphasis. I mean, there's Marie Kondo, which I think was like our, the big popular culture realization. And there have been people before who've really put an emphasis on clutter and clearing it. And it's dramatic what can happen just by clearing clutter. But this whole idea of loving your home is to me, sort of an extension of loving yourself. And when it comes to how I kind of got out of the depths of perfectionism, I'll say the number one thing that I don't want anyone else to have to do was to confront my own mortality. And I've had to do it several times until the message stuck. As a kid, it was one specific thing. It was a really like life or death eating disorder. As an adult, I've had two rounds of autoimmune to finally go, okay, and pretty serious stuff, like several weeks in the hospital stuff that I'm so grateful that finally the message took. I started to understand for myself, I'm here. Does it really matter what I do? And what am I going to gain from being perfect? And what am I missing? And I just started to see that there was so much that I was missing out on because I was holding myself in some sort of prison of perfect. And I realized it had nothing for me personally to do with being perfect. It had to do with forgiving a lot of people. It had to do with forgiving myself. It had to do with understanding that what if I was never some super awesome anything? Would it really matter? If I lived my life really well, and if I had a really incredible experience of being here, 
And there were a few times confronting my mortality that I had to choose, like, am I going to go down the path of everything's out of control? Or am I going to choose to want to really live and thrive and be better? And, you know, I don't want people to have to get to that place to have that choice. So I think that's why I've just been a real champion of the idea that you really miss out when you try to be perfect. You even miss out on a tremendous amount of success. And I think that all of those make seven figures in a weekend things are starting to really fall on deaf ears now. I mean, it's just like such noise. It's unfortunate. I don't think there's anything wrong with making seven figures in a weekend, but I certainly don't think that there's a way to to do whatever it is and, you know, guarantee this blah, 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 or else here's another program to get to blah, blah, blah. So I was very averse, almost allergic to the idea of having a business that had anything to do with anything like this. I didn't even intend to have a business, but when I was getting better and I was working on my space and I was seeing how when I actually cared for my space, when I cared for my energy and when I understood that how I felt was being reflected in my home. When you're having a bad day, you start to see, okay, the dishes can pile up. Okay, this can go. Okay, that can go. But then if you do something as simple as saying, okay, I'm having kind of a shitty day today, but I think I'm going to just put on a podcast and wash the dishes and that'll be great. And suddenly that gives you a little bit more momentum. And then you start to see, oh, okay, there's a few other things I can do. Maybe I can fold my clothes or maybe I can do some laundry, or maybe I can walk my dogs or whatever it is. It's these small incremental things working with your environment where you can start to shift the energy around you. And I just became really obsessed with how brilliant it was working for me because I no longer had to quote unquote, force myself into a mindset. Instead, I was living in it. There's plants everywhere. There's colors that I love. There's my intention in my space. I don't have to sit and try to make it happen, make it happen. Instead, it was just all around me. And so I started sharing it literally for fun. There was no wellness world. There was no big platforms. There was certainly no Instagram. There was nothing. There were no podcasts. There was none of it. So I started sharing it on a Tumblr blog, which was the thing of the moment. And I was just sharing it for fun. It was literally for fun. And it was a lot of art. It was all the things I loved. I did it every day and I had a whole different career. And it was crazy what happened. People just really started to reach out and want to do it and understand more and want to know more. And suddenly my years of all this self-help immersion and all of this stuff got activated in my life. It was like, well, I guess that, you know, on some way you were training for this (laughs) since you were a little kid. So it's been really interesting. I just kept following what felt right to me. And, you know, I don't really fit in the traditional realm of feng shui because I ignore a lot of, I think a lot of it is superstitious. A lot of it takes your power away. A lot of it is prescriptive. Every house needs this here, this here, this here, and this here. And I just feel like you're so unique. And the words you use, Whitney, like really bringing love to your home is so much more important than trying to create perfect rules and abide by them all. Yes. I love that you brought that up because 
first of all, I find feng shui to be confusing, for lack of a better word. I remember when I first heard about it and I asked some questions and I just felt like the person I was talking to was like, no, it's so much deeper than that. And I just, I felt like, gosh, this is so over my head. I'm not even going to look further into it. I really feel like I've only scratched the surface of it. And I did the life-changing magic of tidying up. Would you say that it's the same thing? Is that feng shui or were you bringing that up as an example of how that helped people tune into their homes? Because I still feel so confused. I don't even know if I would call that feng shui. I'm blanking on her name at the moment. What is her name? Marie Kondo. Yes, thank you. That to me was such a great introduction to tuning into your home and the energy in it. And then I feel like there's so many other levels to it. And like you're saying, there are people out there that might give you the rules, et cetera. But I think what's wonderful about your work is that you're customizing it to each person and helping them tune into what's really important for them versus just like reading a book and following the generic instructions, you know? And I'm just fascinated by it for that reason, because I feel like it's just so deep. Well, I think Marie Kondo did everyone an amazing service in helping people to really start, like you said, connecting to your home, getting rid of the stuff, clearing space, whether it's clearing clutter, clearing stuck energy, as Jason was saying, you know, recognizing your habits in terms of what you're holding on to. Is it out of a sense of scarcity? Like, why am I holding on to this stuff? All of these things and being willing to, even if you feel, oh no, what could happen if I throw this away or if I recycle it or if I give it away, just doing it anyway, because you don't really need it because it's not bringing you joy. I think that that's really brilliant. And it was definitely an opening for a lot of people into this world of the magic of your home. Like, what is it actually that your home can do for you? What I like to use this analogy of, we always think mind, body, spirit, however you want to imagine it, we're made of mind, body, and spirit, but we won't exist without a place. And you wouldn't watch a movie without a set design. It would be really weird. It's even hard to watch theater if there are no props or no things. Like There's always an environment and sometimes no environment is the environment, but there's always an environment that people are interacting within. And feng shui, the way that I first saw it, I'm with you, Whitney. I was totally confused. I was overwhelmed. I didn't know. I can't even still use a compass. Forget about figuring out. I tried to do it on my phone once for something that needed to face east that had nothing to do with feng shui. And I <laughs> couldn't figure it out. And, you know, I was walking around shaking my phone and trying to figure out how to make it go north. And I was just like, this is not for me. But what I started to see over and over and over again was that, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but when things are really complex and difficult to do, I think that for me, it's kind of a red flag, unless it's a mathematical thing or unless there's some legal thing. Like when things like taking care of your home and setting up an environment are so complex that you're left confounded or there's something wrong. Whenever things get too complicated, I feel like there's always something going on. Like someone overlaid their complexities upon something that could be really easy because back in the day, feng shui was all about survival. People weren't, you know, really when it first began, it was all about getting connected to the earth, getting connected, understanding how the elements were affecting your life so that you can survive, so that you had the optimal way to survive. And all the 
schools of thought and all the things that have been laid on top of these tools are really confusing, confounding. And a lot of people, it's even sometimes terrifying. I've had a lot of people send me messages. I say this all the time. I get these emails. Please help me. You know, I heard that I'm going to get divorced because my bed is in this place, or I found out that my door faces the wrong direction and there's nothing I can do this year, or this year is supposed to be bad health for me, or it's supposed to be bad luck, or the number of my house, like literally your address, you have the wrong address and it means that you're going to be misunfortunate and all of these really horrible things to tell people, you know, just how crazy it can be. And just working with people to just untangle the mess of that has been one of the reasons why it's pushed me further and further forward into doing what I do the way that I do it. So wow, that's, I get it. I would never have done feng shui if feng shui was what was initially presented to me. I couldn't ethically do it. What comes up in that whole statement that really jumps out, Dana, is the power of belief systems. And you talked about numerology or the person whose bed might be maybe the death position and their feet are facing the bedroom door or whatever it might be. What came up for me was just the power of intrinsic embodied energy and power dynamics versus the belief systems that we assign to those things. And I remember the first first apartment I had when I moved to Chicago, when I was getting my bachelor's degree, I moved to Chicago when I was like 21 years old. And I lived on the 13th floor. And I remember a lot of people having this reaction. They're like, oh my God, you live on the 13th floor. First of all, they were mystified that I lived in a building that even had a 13th floor. But then they were like, why would you even choose that? And I remember telling people, friends and certain family members, I'm like, it doesn't hold any power to me. Like, I'm not thinking that the elevator is going to come crashing to my death because I live on the 13th floor. Something bad is going to happen. But I remember all of these people trying to I don't know about impose, maybe that's a harsh word, but impose their fears and their beliefs on top of the numerology of living on the 13th floor. And quite frankly, I could give a shit. So my experience there was fantastic. It was a great place to live. But I just remember in what you're saying, the superstition or the belief systems and how much that can color our experience of life when perhaps we have a choice whether or not to give it power, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, the great thing about you in that circumstance is that you didn't allow it to have power over you. But it's funny. And, you know, I'm raising my hand as guilty. And I think maybe many people have been, you know, very intelligent, very sensible people who are extremely wise. And I consider them to have incredibly great judgment. And you get told something by an expert And I think that's really like the wild thing. There's superstition and then there's like superstition imposed or values and idea systems imposed by experts. So if an expert tells you, oh, oh, you know, I'm sorry to say this, but 2020, 2021, you might as well not leave your house because it's going to be really shitty. Now, (laughs) that was partially accurate, but it's actually, you know, this is the kind of thing that you could be told at any moment. Oh, you know, this or, oh, that. And when it comes from an expert, I've had people like the home address been told, oh, gee, you know, your home address is this, and that means this. And so this one woman had never had a financial problem before in her life. 
And then suddenly she's told by a feng shui person that her home address means that her finances are going to always be unstable. And she tries to laugh it off, but is mildly concerned about it and kind of tries to let it go and notices that suddenly her finances are becoming more unstable and more unstable. And I think it's something any expert, no matter if anyone's listening to this, who's an expert, one of the things I stress when I train people in this work is your words are so powerful. And I think if you have any sort of a platform and you're any kind of expert in anything, even with one single person, your words are so powerful because people are really investing a lot in what you say. And once that judgment kind of, you know, hits some vulnerability or really triggers something in someone, it can be a real, it's really damaging. And so it's funny. I like to say that there are people who are immune to it. Jason, I'm so glad you were. But there are some people who, you know, if the right person comes up to them and says something, it's like, whoa, oh no, whoa. So yeah, it's a big deal. I'm like a crusader against superstition now. (laughs) (laughs) I love that you brought that up because conscious languaging is such a huge part of the conversations that we have here and choosing the right words that really represent your aim and being very mindful of how other people are responding to it. I think that that's part of what makes feng shui seem confusing to someone like me is that you hear other people talking about it in a way that doesn't resonate with you, or they speak above your head, or maybe they use terms that feel like it's just some superstitious thing, or there just could be something that you hear and you feel a little bit turned off to it. And that can happen with anything. I mean, we hear this term woo-woo get thrown around so much and people start to think, oh, that's not for me. I don't like that. But what I'm hearing from you, Dana, is that you're taking an approach that not everybody takes. And I think that's the beauty of your work and being very mindful of how it's affecting people and helping them reach their goals. And it might not be what they think it is. And your ability to be very aware of how you're positioning it is so helpful. Well, I appreciate that so much. It comes from being on the receiving. And again, because I sought it out, I sought out every expert to tell me how to live. So because I sought it out for so long, I've been on the receiving end of you must do this you must do that. You must eat food every day that is a rainbow on your plate. I mean, it would drive me mad. I would be looking for something purple to put on my plate every day. You must have this. You must. And this sounds so silly. Looking back, I think all the things I invested my energy in, my money in, but my energy in, that it was just a very must system. And you know, ultimately, it's almost impossible to tailor your life to someone else's belief systems completely and thoroughly. And so, you know, if I deviated from it, if I didn't eat all rainbow colored food for a while, if I didn't do this thing, then I felt like I just wasn't doing enough. And I've also been told a lot of things by healers, by psychics, by people who were maybe not mindful of what they were saying, or, you know, maybe they didn't communicate what they wanted to say clearly, but I was just an open book. And I allowed a lot of doors to be closed for me because of that. Oh, don't go there or don't do this. Or 
you got to do this, or you got to do that. I will very <laughs> talk about this might get uncomfortable. I actually moved to Los Angeles because my psychic told me to move to Los Angeles and literally did it over a weekend when I was here visiting with my boyfriend. And we were staying in Beverly Hills and I woke up and I was like, oh, by the way, I'm staying. And he's like, what? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go look for an apartment right now. And since you're back and forth, this will be fine. And I was like, I just have to do it. There's no other way. And I think he was so shocked and so perplexed. And I was like, well, it's what I got to do. It's what I was told. And she's really famous. And I love her very much. She's a wonderful person. And I don't think that she thought I was going to take what she said so literally, but that was me. Wow. (laughs) Wow. I love that. I'm actually very intrigued about psychic. So if you want to share any more about that, I would love to hear that because we haven't really dove that far into it, but a number of my friends are into working with psychics. But before that, I feel like what you're saying here is coming back around to the perfectionism. And this has come up in a lot of recent episodes that we've done, how often with any element of health and well-being, there is a lot of different paths that you can go down. And we can get stuck in this idea of following the rules and trying to do everything right because we're so attached to an outcome. And we think that if we follow somebody's exact strategy, then we'll get what we really want. But what happens is there's so much conflicting information out there that it starts to become confusing and overwhelming. Or you end up having this long list of things to do and you get wrapped up in the perfectionism. And that's what I hear from you. And I've experienced that so much myself too. Sometimes I just end up giving up. You know, it's like, this is just way too much for me. I'm not even going to bother. People say this a lot when it comes to food. It's like, well, eating a plant-based diet is so complicated and I'm never doing it right. And I have to think about it too much. It's taking too much mental energy. I just give up. Or when it comes to eating unprocessed food, you know, it's too hard to avoid it because I find myself reading the nutritional labels for so long that now I feel like no matter what I eat, there's something in it I'm not supposed to have. And, and, uh, I really, can relate to that feeling. I've gone through a lot of different phases of that in my life. And luckily, I don't necessarily give up. I'll just sometimes pause and wait for a time that I feel either more ready or an approach from somebody like yourself that feels more in alignment with me. But I found a lot of people simply give up, period. And I think that that is something worth exploring too. It seems to me like you're really trying to help people find what works for them. And that's really nice to hear. Yeah. I mean, isn't that the greatest diet thing? It's like you start the diet and then you fall apart one day and then you're like, oh, I'll start the diet again in like two weeks or something like that. That's always the thing. It's always all or nothing, this all or nothing philosophy. And when you're working with a home, the interesting thing is it's really difficult to be all or nothing. And I'll even tell my clients, I know I told this to Jason, but, and he, I think did it progressively, but when you're shifting things in your home, And it's done all at once. It's really overwhelming, but it's also a lot of work. It's not necessarily making one shift. Like sometimes I'll hang a piece of art and I'm like, whoa, I just accomplished something great for my home today. That was such a huge change. You know, it's a little different than necessarily what you're going to cook or what smoothie I have in the morning. Those are all easier things to accomplish. But when you're making home changes, even cleaning your home, it's a pretty big energy commitment. So, my goal is always, how does that feel better? How does that not be overwhelming? How does that be actually exciting? 
And, you know, I follow this in my life very clearly. And it's something that hopefully people take away from my work wherever they see it. And that's the energy with which you do things is more important than what you do. And I've heard people say, you know, you don't need to have all these perfect things or do all of these things. It's the energy that you do them with that's going to change everything. It's the difference between showing up and being the creator of your life rather than showing up and sort of feeling like you have to do all these things in order to then be someone. And I've really gotten very, very clear about the energy with which I do things. And it kind of has, I was talking to Jason about it. It's kind of filtered into the way that I eat now after what's been happening during this quarantine and all the things that have come out about what's happening with animals. I'm pretty much done. Like I ate very little meat for a very long time. And I would say it was like probably 80% vegan. I don't really have dairy or anything else. Um, and now I'm just hands clean done because it became very clear to me the energy behind it was totally not anything I could stand behind if this was like the whole complex and the industry of it. We use the term on your website, food sway, I saw. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Like the energy behind the food that you eat, eating more intuitively, like understanding that there are energetics to everything. And If someone comes to me and says, oh, you know, I want to really energize my home and energize my stuff, then at the same time, and I've had clients like this because I don't work with just people in LA where there's a real quote unquote health focus or New York or major cities, but people who live in places where these foods are not easily available and they have to actually, it's really difficult to have unprocessed food to talk about okay, so how can you eat a little bit more intuitively? Can we start growing some herbs? Can we start doing some things? Because ultimately, even if your home is amazing, if your energy doesn't feel right, if you don't feel good, your home will help you to feel better. But ultimately, if your home is amazing and you're eating McDonald's every day, it's like that karate kid analogy, wax on, wax off. It's like you take one step forward, one step back. And it's definitely not about being perfect. It's about really just what's going to feel better and better and better and better. For people that have been so desensitized, I think, and this is a question for both of you, Whitney and Dana, because I'm curious about it. Such a message, I think, especially in American society in particular, not exclusively, but since we are here and we live, you know, Los Angeles in America, there's this mentality we see with different luminaries whether it's entrepreneurs or athletes or celebrities or whatever, that they hustled their way, they clawed their way, the blood, the sweat, the tears, the years of agonizing over this, and then they finally triumphed. And I think there's a pervasive narrative that gets filtered down to us from these, quote, avatars or luminaries or people with these massive success stories of how hard they worked, how much they grinded, the sleepless nights, the blood, the doubt, the sweat, all the things I mentioned. But yet, Dana, what you're talking about is a sense of joyfulness. You've brought up the word joy multiple times that have perked my ears up or fun or excitement. And I think so often in those narratives of success at all costs, there's not a lot of joy or fun or pleasure being talked about in those legends of those people we ought to aspire to. It's mostly like gritting your teeth, grinding it out, being relentless, doing anything is required, whereas like the ends justify the means, so to speak. 
And I'm curious for both of you again, how do we work to decode or deconstruct these old narratives that have been injected into us over the course of our lives and say, you know what? Maybe success at all costs isn't the greatest value in my life. Maybe making a ton of money and being famous and doing everything I can to be a rock star in my industry isn't the highest good. Maybe it is joy. Maybe it is service. And I guess I'm just curious, like, how do we start to deconstruct that and rewrite those scripts for ourselves? I'm curious to see what Whitney has to say, but I can tell you for me that my years of gritting my teeth and hustling and all the stuff were far less successful and the happier and the more I still work a ton. And I want to just disentangle the idea of working a lot or creating a lot or making a lot from this kind of horrible, arduous nature to it. Because I do work all the time and I love it. And you know, people say, oh, don't consider it work. No, it's still work. Um, I still have to show up and do things, but I love it. And it's so fun. And I feel so grateful to be able to do it. But if I don't want to do something and I push myself and force myself, I have no success or it's very minimal. It just falls flat. And so, you know, for me, I think that in terms of doing things that are sustainable, and that are going to be sort of this new paradigm people are starting to muse over now with all that we're going through in the world. Personally, I feel like there's a move toward, like you said, maybe it doesn't, I don't have to be the rock star in my industry, or maybe being happier and being more fulfilled and feeling good will bring me more of those things. Because as soon as I said, I'm not going to suffer anymore and I'm not going to struggle anymore. I'm just not going to do it. And I'm going to instead show up, give all that I've got in a really creative way and just really be really creatively self-expressed. And I don't care what other people think or how they respond. It's like the floodgates opened and it keeps getting better and better. And that's what I encourage all my students to do, all the people in my programs, everyone on the blog, everyone I talk to, all my friends. It's like, what if you just showed up and you were just literally excited, truly excited and did the things that were really exciting and felt better? And usually it's more successful too. Whitney, I'm dying to hear what you have to say. <laughs> I mean, I feel like we're really on the same page with a lot of that. And this is something I need to remind myself of almost daily is letting go because I feel like three of us, I imagine you can relate to a lot of this, Dana, is we have been rising and growing our careers in a time where there are a lot of people that felt like they were rushing to be the best and to become the most influential or become the most powerful and most successful and make the most money. And there's been a lot of this energy. And I think it's still there, but maybe I've just shifted a lot where likewise with you, Dana, it's like, I don't always need to lead with my credentials. I don't need to convince somebody of my importance because of the testimonials I have or how many followers I have or or what magazines I was featured in and all of these things and kind of leading with a lot of that external value. I think more and more for me, it's about deeper internal elements. And I think also goes back to something Jason said before about scarcity. I think ultimately that is about scarcity. It's like, I don't have enough. And yet what's really neat is we're seeing a lot of shifts towards the internal side of it. And for example, especially when it comes to our homes, we see this rise of the minimalist movement. 
I feel like in the past five years, it's just become bigger and bigger. And you see a lot of younger people, a lot of times they're in their 20s, early 30s, having this huge desire to live minimally. You know, Jason, I know, has been dreaming of the tiny house for many years. I don't know if he still is as excited about it as he once was. And I find myself wanting that more and more. And I think about that a lot during COVID is like, what don't we need? And I think that's one of the beautiful things about being at home so much is not only focusing on what we have and how we can shift the energy, but hey, maybe I don't need to go out and buy all these things all the time. (laughs) you know. Or if I am going to buy something, is it something that truly brings me joy and serves a purpose? Does it feel necessary? Looking around our homes and thinking about what we can sell. I know that's something Jason's done a lot of and and I've been uh, trying to encourage myself to do. Like, what can I let go of ultimately versus what am I clinging on to? How am I trying to prove myself? Why am I gripping to something because I think it's going to serve me in some ways? And I try to do more releasing than accumulating. Yeah, that's a, something for me that I'm still, <laughs> I'm still working on because I do have a dream. It's funny you mentioned this, Whitney, of the tiny house and the more minimalist living because I got a, a Facebook messenger message, DM, if you will, from my mom who will send me these tiny house listings. And apparently there's a new company in Singapore that will ship these really amazing minimalist modern prefab houses. They make them in Singapore, but they'll ship them worldwide. And they're like $55,000. Inside joke, Dana, about 55. We had an episode about that, the numerology of 55. But anyway, it's $55,000. And they'll ship it from Singapore to California for an additional $8,000. And it literally will sleep four people And it has all of these incredibly modern minimalist features and a cool sunroof on top of the house. And I'm like, you know what? If I look at this as an example of where I want to go to, if I open my cabinet and I see that I'm a single, you know, a man who lives on his own, I'm dating someone, but a single man who lives on his own, I have like 25 coffee mugs. What in the hell do I need 25 coffee mugs for? You know what I mean? And then I think about this ultimate not goal, but an aim of, yeah, living in a tiny house someday. And I'm like, you ain't bringing 25 mugs to a tiny house, dude. Like, you may as well start now. So to Whitney's point, I have been learning to minimize. And as part of that minimization, I think letting go of this need, not only for material things, but the addiction that I have to approval or the addiction that I have for significance or the addiction that I have for the numbers on social media. And I guess my point here is like, I feel like this COVID situation has been not just a material detox, but a mental and spiritual detox too of like, what can you live without? What have you thought or convinced yourself of that you've needed that you can live without and actually feel better as a result of not having it? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I'm very deeply aware of, you know, a lot of people who are struggling and suffering. And this is definitely not, you know, I felt guilty for having any silver linings during this time, because this is not a usual situation. But it's certainly been a lot to confront. Like, why am I so busy all the time? Like I said, like, what have I been doing? What have I been doing? Why am I so busy? Why? What? And why did I not have time? And this was a big one. And maybe you guys have experienced this. Why did I not have time to 
connect with my family that I haven't seen in so long? Why do I not have time to just pick up a phone? Now suddenly I have all this time for FaceTiming and Zooming with everyone, but these people were always there and they suddenly came back again. Like where was the time to do this before? It's all priorities. And I'm very grateful actually to realize that as weird as it is, this disconnection from people has brought a lot of connection back, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's getting us to see that, as you said, Dana, like those opportunities to reach out and get really deep and have loving, awesome conversations with the people in our life. I've been experiencing the same thing of like, why haven't I reached out to this person that I feel close to? And it was for me under the guise and the illusion of you have to work as hard as possible to get ahead, to maintain, which again is just fear and lack consciousness. And now it's like, okay, so we're actually going to like put you in a situation where you don't know, <laughs> for me at least, you know, full disclosure, like the last couple months have not been great financially. And it's like, okay, well, I don't know when the next project or client is going to come through. I have no idea. And it's like, can you be okay in the uncertainty? And part of the thing I think is, for me at least, realizing that if I'm just super radically honest with people about where I'm at, be that friends, family, acquaintances, whatever, it opens the space for really deep, vulnerable shares. And that's been one of the most delightful things, just to piggyback on what you said, Dana, about connecting with people and prioritizing that during this time, is not just small talk. You're not like, oh, how's the weather back home? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, basketball season's canceled. But like, hey, how are you? Like, how are you handling the financial downturn? How are your investments? How's your mental health? How are you eating? And really just digging deep with people, like people I've known for years, but having, I suppose, another layer of connection and depth through those kind of conversations that are not small talk. And that's been super refreshing. Let's hope it stays this way. I really hope that the connection stays. I mean, connections where all good things begin, right? So that's my hope is that we maintain the connections that we're building with other people, with the things that we were interested in, with our spaces, with our homes, with our dreams. There's a lot of uh, reprioritizing, reevaluating. There's a lot of retrogrades happening too, a lot of planet retrogrades happening right now. Uh, so a lot of slowdown and reprioritizing. And that's never a bad thing. So yeah, I feel you. Okay, you hit a hot button, which is retrogrades, because <laughs> I feel like there is such a funny aspect whenever particularly Mercury retrograde happens of, oh, my car broke down and my MacBook took a shit and I didn't get a call back from this girl I wanted on five dates, on and on and on. And I feel like there, at least my observation, is there seems to be with some people sort of a knee-jerk reaction sometimes on social media to be like, all this shit's going wrong in my life. Damn you, Mercury. Damn you. And I'm just curious, like you bring up retrogrades because it just seems to me to be a touchy subject for people. What right now with the retrogrades that are going, I'm not really privy to this. Like what's happening and how can people be more mindful about living during a retrograde period? I just love it because I love the symbolism of retrogrades. There's always, again, like it's, I guess there's different ways that people interpret different things. Just like we were talking about with feng shui, like how people can layer on their superstition, their belief systems. Remember, 
when astrology started thousands and thousands of years ago, no one had a computer that could crash. So who came up with that one? There's always been something layered on to the mix. So I've always been interested in the themes of astrology, not in the necessarily distinct definitive predictions, but the themes. And there's almost always, with rare exception of a few months every year or a month or two here and there, there's always some planet retrograde. There's always something. And it really just means slowing down. And I find it interesting. And some of them is like really taking a look at different aspects of your life. It's these great reminders from this cosmic system to, hey, let's sit down and relook at this. Let's rethink this. Let's slow down a little bit here. Let's become more mindful. Let's get more connected. And that's all it really is. And all of them. I mean, that's all any of it is to really be more slowed down. Planets don't actually go backwards. They just slow down in the sky and they look like they're going backwards. And I guess I always think the way I interpret it for myself is it's time for us to slow down in some ways too. I mean, even though right now I've been at home for quite a long time and many of you have too, and I literally have only left my house like twice in the last two and a half months. And yet my mind has been going so fast. My work has been going. So everything's, I've had to tell myself to slow down so many times. And it's not just the act of moving, but where can we really just go? Okay. What am I actually doing here? <laughs> uh, let's look at it. So I don't subscribe to the idea that you're, everything's going to break down. You're going to get divorced. You're going to break up. You're going to have all these horrible things happen and then. Things are going to, your car is going to break and all this stuff that people layer on top of anything astrological. I just really like to look at the bigger themes. And it's funny, all of the themes of this year that we started with had to do with massive change, recalibration, uh, shifting into what is more important, deeper priorities globally. Astrologers have been talking about this forever. And you know, you sit and think, well, gee, what could happen where it would change our global priorities? Well, I don't think anyone, I certainly didn't expect this specifically. But yeah, I love the themes, but all the rest of it, I think it's a nice way to point fingers. And also, it's a funny thing that whole idea of you get more of what you expect, the self fulfilling prophecy. It's the reason why I don't read horoscopes. It's the reason why I don't listen to predictions anymore. Going back to what Whitney was talking about with psychics is the reason why I don't take on other people's stuff because we really do fulfill a lot of prophecies, whether they're ours or someone else's, you know? Mm, that's a great point. I think it's tempting to take on other people's perspective and predictions and all of that because it's like a shortcut almost. I mean, at least for me, I feel like we are often conditioned, and I certainly have felt this way when somebody's like, Hey, I've got the answer for you. Like, and it's, you know what it is? It's like certainty. <laughs> and that to me is what comes up so much right now is the element of feeling certain. In fact, I just posted something on our Instagram the other day, a, a tweet. I'm going to pull it up right now because. It really hit home for me when I saw this. I don't know if you saw this in our Instagram story, Jason, but I was scrolling through social media and I saw this tweet that a woman named Ashley C. Ford put out a few weeks ago. And she said, you are watching people go through withdrawal 
from the emotional addiction to the myth of certainty. And to me, that really hit home because I feel like we are often addicted to the draw of certainty. Oh, can somebody predict my future? And that way I'll know what my future is so I can be prepared for it. Or I'll know what my future is so I can feel comfort in this current moment. And I feel like a lot of what's been revealed to me recently is that nothing is certain and we can't predict the future. I mean, that's my perspective. I've actually never worked with a psychic. I'm, I'm curious about it. But when I examine my curiosity, I think it's really based in my desire to feel some certainty or to feel some comfort or have someone tell me everything's going to be okay or have someone guide me in a certain way versus, as I was saying before, what I'm really trying to do is be okay in the present moment and trusting and loving myself and grounded and centered in myself because that's, I feel like, the most powerful thing I'll ever have. The outside, the external, I think is very helpful. But as I mentioned earlier, it can be very confusing and it's not always going to be accurate for you. Or maybe it influences you in a way that ultimately doesn't serve you. So I'm really curious about your relationship with certainty and uncertainty, both Jason and Dana. And I guess I'll start with Jason. I don't know if you had seen that that tweet that I posted. And I feel like that would have been something that really resonated with you. So I'm curious about your feelings on it, Jason. I did see it. And it reminds me of a lot of the philosophies of wabi-sabi, the Japanese philosophy of wabi-sabi, which is that, and I'm riffing on it, but essentially that everything is impermanent. Everything is imperfect. Things are ever-changing, ever-evolving. And part of that to me is uncertainty. And we've brought up Alan Watts many times because he's one of my favorites, one of my favorite authors and I suppose philosophers of Zen is that we have no way to accurately predict what's coming next. And in a very pragmatic way, I literally have no idea what I'm going to say 10 seconds from now. I don't know where my mind is going to go. We literally don't know what's going to happen five minutes after we walk out the door to go get bread from the grocery store or have that phone call come in or what's going to land in our email inbox. And so it's almost as if I feel like humans have had this selective version of reality where we try and filter out anything that threatens our sense of self. It's almost as if if I really immerse myself in the nature of reality, which is unpredictability, uncertainty, ever-evolving, ever-changing, then what ground do I have to stand on? What proverbial safety net do I have? And I think for me, that's definitely been something I've been wrestling with in a more acute sense during this quarantine period is you don't know where your money's coming from. You don't know how your investments are going to do. You don't know what's going to happen 10 minutes from now. We just don't know. And this sense of free fall, I think, has been at times liberating and highly, highly disturbing and uncomfortable for me. But the more I dig into it, Whitney, to summarize your question is, I do feel if we look at nature it is ever evolving and it is uncertain and it's not predictable. And so if we are nature and we're not apart from nature, we as humans are part of the natural world, then we as well are ever evolving, ever changing and completely unpredictable. That's really powerful. That is so powerful. I've been asked, I, I think it's interesting that this question came up, Whitney. I'm glad that you brought it up. And I really, as both you and Jason were talking, I'm sitting here nodding going, yes, yes, yes. It's a question that I've been asked over and over and over and over and over again lately about how do I shift the energy to deal with uncertainty? How do I shift the energy to deal with uncertainty? And that quote that you posted really is so powerful because when has anything always ever been certain? And having, you know, had a real 
deep dive into psychics and all of these great things. Like I have had people very accurately predict huge, amazing things no one could ever have seen. But I wonder if I created them because they were told to me. So now when I look at life and how to approach it, I start with my own intuition and really starting to hear that. And I think maybe that's one of the antidotes to the sense of uncertainty is, well, we do have an intuitive pull towards certain things. And what would happen if we followed more of that, followed more of our inner guidance rather than this construct that things are just going to always be a certain way and we just have to keep going through the motions. Intuition and creativity have been really big. And one of the things that I told my feng shui camp, the money camp, the cash camp lately, because this came up so many times and I've been thinking about it is that, you know, we could call it uncertainty or we could call it infinite possibility because both are the same thing. You can't necessarily name what it is, but in a space where you don't know what happens next, anything can happen. And so I've traded in my mind this idea that things are very uncertain for the field is wide open. There's infinite possibility. What do I want to create next? How can I help someone next? What would be a great thing for me to do for myself today? Or what can I do to help someone right now? What's going to make me feel better? And that's been a really big part of my work for a long time. It's infinite possibility, creativity, and intention. That's the foundation of how I work. And I realized uncertainty is because when you have certainty, then you have like this one thing that's going to happen for sure. So when you have uncertainty, you actually have infinite possibility. And so I've just really gotten very grounded in that space. And it's actually bringing a lot of really cool creative things to life. And it's been helping a lot uh, for what it's worth. And it's not just because I'm such a genius. It's because I literally talk about infinite possibility day in and day out and teach it constantly in the way that I work. So that might be a helpful thing just to think about because it's certainly been something I've been consciously bringing to my days these days. And instead of, oh God, what's going to happen next? It's like, wow, anything could happen. I wonder how I can feel better doing this or what can happen, you know, this and the field is wide open to create stuff. That's a huge shift in terms of, I think, consciously choosing our languaging. We go back to how much we love intentional language and the embodied energy behind language. Because when you said that, Dana, of reframing uncertainty as infinite possibility, I could actually in my body feel a change when you said that. I thought that feels so much more relaxed and interesting and exciting and fun to replace that phrase, infinite possibility, wherever I'm using uncertainty. And it's not in a way to bypass either, right? Like my impression of it is not like, oh, whenever I'm feeling uncertain or scared or fearful, I'll just say infinite possibility. It's not in a bypassing way, but it's in a way of like, for me, feeling a physiological response when you said that, you know, you talk about intuition or your body responds to certain language. And I think for me, that's been a huge part of choosing my language throughout this whole experience is how am I talking to myself? you know, being really mindful of whose voice is that in my head. And certainly through meditation and mindfulness and just sitting with myself a lot during this period, which I'm sure a lot of people have had time to do, just be with yourself. The mind can be a scary place to be sometimes, depending on which voice you're listening to or which 
voice rather you're giving power to. But I love that you brought that up because I think it gives us our agency back and it gives us our power back in the sense of, wait, I don't have to use language that scares me, that makes me feel terrified of the situation. I can choose different words that have different energetic imprints that actually do feel fun, exciting, and infinite. I love that you brought that up. Thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. That's the whole point of this. That's the whole point of, I've learned so much listening to both of you. It's the whole point of doing all of having these kinds of conversations. And I know for myself, every time I have one of these conversations, it's not just a conversation. I will then go and start realizing and looking at the ways where I have Now I'm looking at my house going, gee, where have I held on to things because of scarcity? I have books I need to go and donate soon. And so, you know, always whenever I have a conversation like this with anyone, it's always this big reveal for myself too. And so for anyone listening, I always just say, you know, if there's anything that anyone takes away from anything, it's like, you can't really do any of this wrong, especially when it comes to your home, you can't really do it wrong. You can't really have the wrong intuition. It's just a matter of, can you lean into it a little bit and go and try a little bit of it, dump some clutter, uh, let some stuff go, uh, maybe look at how you're talking to yourself or, uh, and see if you could just distract yourself when you find yourself down spiraling or anything else something that you can actually do, because I certainly am not sitting here talking about this, thinking that I have it all figured out. I'm actually actively going to go do a lot of the things and really look at a lot of the things, how I can bring even more of it into what I'm doing right now. That's why I'm so grateful for these conversations, because they help me as much as they help, hopefully anyone. If it helps one person who's listening, I'm excited. But I just wanted to say that because I think that it's easy, like you said, it's not bypassing to use words like infinite possibility, but also I don't want anyone to think that I just, you know, I'm again, sitting on a mountaintop going, oh, there's nothing to worry about. It's all possibility. (laughs) You know what I mean? I think it's a really important thing, but like Jason said, and like we've been talking about, you know, there's something to be said for really choosing what you want to create. and. I know that I can't control all of life, but I can control how I show up and what I create and what I do. And that is really powerful. So, yeah. I'm so glad that you said that because I was trying to think of how, as we begin to wrap up, a way to leave somebody with something, someplace to start, because you can listen to things like this and enjoy it but also feel overwhelmed with all the different options or just feel like, well, I don't know where to begin. And I love that you said that. And it's also such an important point because I think there's a natural tendency when you're listening to somebody speak who has a lot of knowledge and experience in something, it's very easy to say, well, they're the expert. They're so far beyond me. I'm never going to get there. It's going to take so long. And you get into a place of inaction. And I think it's such a beautiful thing when people who have been doing something for a long time remind others that they don't have it all figured out (laughs) because I certainly don't. I don't think Jason does. I don't know if anybody really does. There's always something more to live and learn. And that's part of the beauty of all of this. I think if we had it all figured out, it'd be quite boring. And that's part of the beauty with possibility and shifting that perspective uncertainty and looking at it in a positive light because 
I think we're constantly being shown that things can change at any moment. And just because it's changing doesn't mean that it's negative. It actually might be really positive and serve us in a beautiful way. And I just love also what you were saying about going and taking some sort of action and looking around your home. I feel the same way. <laughs> I sometimes get into a place of feeling very stuck with my home and or overwhelmed by all the things. One thing that actually helped me yesterday that I wanted to share with others in some form is that I knew that I I just needed to tidy up my home, but I was feeling a lot of resistance about it. And I actually got on the phone with a friend to catch up and tidied up while we were talking. And the combination of those two things was so pleasant because I don't like to just sit and have a conversation. I like to be doing something and taking a walk or something like that. And I just found so much joy and having this like catch up call and then folding my clothes the Marie Kondo way, (laughs) which is probably my biggest takeaway from the life changing magic of tidying up was learning how to fold my clothes and organize them. I love doing that, but I don't always want to do it. And so for me, it was like combining and finding joy and moving through that resistance of my home and whatever I'm feeling when it gets really cluttered. And then the amount of shift that it had when I walked into this particular room later that day. And it was like, I completely forgot I had tidied it up (laughs) because when I walked in, I was like, wow, it feels so different in here. And I want to be in here more and I'm excited. And it just changed the energy. I know that, but sometimes I still get into a place of resistance. No matter how much I know it's good for me, there are times where I just don't want to do it. And I think conversations like this really help remind us of the power of that and inspire us. And I hope that the listener feels that from hearing everything that you've said today, Dana. Well, I think you totally get it. It's interesting for someone who started saying they don't know that much about feng shui. You certainly have a great connection and understanding to your own home. I think if anyone's just getting started or has been really confused, one of the first things you can do if you have done superstitious things or read things that were rules and you've forced yourself to, I've had people force themselves to put their plants up on pedestals because of some plants are never supposed to be on the ground or done force themselves to hang crystals in places and they don't really know why. One of the most empowering things you can do to start is to literally take those things down. If you feel like they're not serving you, uh, just take them down. And as you do, just Remind yourself, you're taking your power back from all these objects. Another awesome thing that we talked about a lot is home love. And Whitney, you really brought that out at the beginning. And Jason as well, just the idea of really investing love into your home. You don't have to get it all perfect, but you know when a space is loved and when it isn't. And Whitney, I love that you just brought up the idea of how you found your own ritual to clean put energy behind things that feels really good to you. So don't force yourself to clean your house, but maybe it is more fun when you're talking to a friend or listening to something on, I always listen to YouTube videos while I'm cleaning. I love it. Sometimes it's music. Sometimes it is conversations with people, whatever's going to make it a little bit easier. Some people like the silence and they find it very inspiring and very meditative, but whatever's going to really move you into action and clean, open windows, get some air flowing, get some freshness in your space and build your own rituals. You might even come up with your own little rituals. A lot of the things that I've come to do as part of my work were rituals that I sort of created because, oh, my bedding felt flat in the morning. And so I started 
shaking it all out and burning incense in my bedroom in the morning and doing all these things. And then it became something that I started to share with people and be like, well, see how this works for you. And they're like, oh my God, I love getting up early now because my bed is all fluffy and blah, blah. And so you have the power to do this, make your own rituals and be good to yourself. Infinite possibility is a real thing. And it's definitely been a big takeaway thinking about scarcity in this conversation and other places where I've been operating with scarcity. And I'm going to go and take care of some of that stuff in my bookshelf, take care of some of that stuff in my closet still, and also and think about ways to really even remove more of it from my life. So I'm so grateful to have been here and you're both amazing. So thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you again. And just to piggyback on the ritual side of it, you're reminding me too of how much that can shift my emotional state. And I've learned over the years that simply spraying a good smell in the air, putting on some essential oils or looking at a crystal, holding it in my hands. And what I've done without even thinking too much about it is I place all those things around my my home space to be nearby. And when I'm needing a shift and some positive energy or just to feel differently, those are right there for me. So I have almost like a little altar and I, I don't usually call it that, but just my side table next to my bed where I spend a lot of time working or reading or whatever, or on my desk, just the places that I'm in the most often are where I place those things. I have numerous crystals of different sizes and textures and colors, and I have different aromatherapy, whether it's a candle or an incense or a mist or something that I'm going to put on my skin. And then you're right, like the power of music or silence, however you're feeling, any auditory experience that you want and opening the windows, just those simple things you can do in just a few minutes and feel a profound difference. And I invite anybody listening to try something like that, something that we've talked about today, just to see how it feels. And sometimes those are the most powerful ways that I've shifted out of discomfort and into a place of feeling a lot better. And so thank you again for bringing that up. So for us, we always want to encourage you, dear listener, to experiment as much as possible because we believe that the more life experiments you make, the better. And this is truly an individual journey. And just all of the teachings and beautiful glimpses into her work that Dana has given us today, if you'd like to learn more, we will have links to all of the books and articles we mentioned in the show notes today at our website, which is wellevator.com. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And you can find Dana's website, Feng Shui Dana there, along with her social media handles on Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest, the Tao of Dana, if you'd like to follow up with her and find out about Cash Camp and her interesting, unique, personalized approach to creating more positive energy in your life and your home. So once again, Dana, thank you so, so much for being here. It's just always an absolute pleasure, whether it's in person or socially distanced or physically distanced. And thanks for just downloading us with your beautiful heart and your beautiful wisdom today. Thank you again. Thank you guys both. Big, huge hugs to both of you and to everyone. And for more resources on our website, guys, to optimize your mental health and emotional wellness, we've got freebies like our ebooks, You Are Enough, and also Take Charge. And if you want more resources, we have our online programs, Wellness Warrior Training and the Consistency Code, because we are always wanting to give you the absolute best, juiciest, most fun and joyful resources to help you shine in your life. So until next time, thanks for getting uncomfortable with us, and we'll see you on the podcast again soon. 
Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.